Hi, everyone. This is Mitch Ashley with DevOps.com, and you're listening to another DevOps Chat Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Brian Wolf, who's software engineer at Airbnb. Our topic is a talk that he's going to be uh, delivering at Spinnaker Summit 2019 in San Diego. The topic of that talk is scaling a migration to continuous delivery. Continuous delivery is a hot topic right now. Uh, that'll be happening on Saturday, November 16th at 11 a.m. Brian, welcome to DevOps Chat. Thanks so much, Mitch. It's uh, really an honor to be uh, talking with you today. Well, so, I'm more honored to have you on. I appreciate you taking the time. Tell us a little bit about you. Introduce yourself. Tell us what you do and a little bit about, I think we know Airbnb, but tell us about what part in Airbnb that you work in. Cool. Yeah, so I assume most people listening to the podcast know what Airbnb is, but we're a worldwide community of hosts and guests. We bring people together to have really local experiences. I'm going to skip the rest of that little spiel. <laughs> um, but uh, I've been at Airbnb for about three and a half years, and most of that time um, I've been kind of on the operational tooling side. And so a lot of that was observability work, so looking at your metrics and traces and logs, and then performance work to like figure out how to make Airbnb um, monitor Airbnb performance, make it faster and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, but for the last year, I've been the tech lead on our continuous delivery team, which is kind of an ambitiously named team. Uh, we're, not, we're not there yet. Um, but the goal of this team was to really up-level how we deliver software at Airbnb. And so my experience is mostly looking at how we're making the transition from a monolith uh, which was written in Ruby on Rails, to an SOA over the last uh, two years and kind of continuing on into 2020. And part of that is, you know, how do we scale how we deliver software? It used to be a more core team who um, understood how to scale our monolith. Mm -hmm. And now every team kind of needs to know how to deliver their software, how to scale it, and how to keep it working. No. Is the move to an SOA, I assume you mean service-oriented architecture, correct? Yeah. Is that what you're referring to? Is yeah. the move to that kind of an architecture what prompted you to, or, or Airbnb, to invest so heavily in this automated continuous delivery? Or was that kind of happening in parallel? Give us a little bit of idea of context how this kind of came together. Yeah, so it definitely um, happened because of the move to SOA. Um, and if you look at what our processes were before, it was very consolidated. Most people were deploying the same code base. And so you kind of could have practices that worked for that one code base. But as we moved to SOA, we now have hundreds of services that are being deployed. And you need to be able to scale those best practices across all of those services. And so that mm. requires that you add these automation pieces so that humans can make fewer mistakes. It makes a lot of sense. I imagine you have a kind of continuous integration happening at the front end of this, right? Leading into your continuous delivery? Absolutely. So um, we've had continuous integration for a long time. Um, and so all of our unit tests and that sort of thing and all of our builds are happening in continuous integration. That's been the case for at least three or four years. And we have fairly mature tooling around that. And we actually did a migration to a new platform there fairly recently that containerizes all of our builds and 
and all of our um, CI so that it kind of runs in a more uniform manner. Mm-hmm. Is that um, moving to Kubernetes? Is that the, the re- change you're referencing or something else? Uh, so even stuff that's not running in Kubernetes. So as you can imagine, Airbnb is about 10 years old. And so we have a lot of uh, technical history. And so some of that stuff is going to be running on bare EC2 instances. And some of that mm-hmm. is running inside Kubernetes at this point. And so mm-hmm. along with the move to SOA, we're also migrating to Kubernetes. And that migration is progressing rapidly, but there's still going to be a lot of stuff that has to be built on EC2 and running on EC2, but the, the builds themselves can happen inside containers. No, we don't think of Airbnb as something that's built 10 years ago and evolved over time, right? We think of it as Yeah, a yeah. It, it has a surprising <laughs> amount of history for, uh, for such, a, such a hot company, you know? Well, it's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting situation that you you are involved in because, you know, you're not talking about a monolith application that was built 30 years ago or 20 years ago. It's something fairly recent, Ruby on Rails, you know, it's uh, so it's, uh, you know, still a contemporary programming language, something that everybody is familiar with, but even you have to go through your own kind of architectural and now continuous delivery evolution of that technology. Absolutely. Um, I think... It's kind of surprising that even at a company that's 10 years old, you have what we consider legacy parts of our stack. I think that happens quickly with a a field that evolves as rapidly as ours. Mm -hmm. And if you look at how continuous delivery has evolved in the last 10 years, it's it's been a pretty big shift. Uh, One of the big things we've seen is, you know, we had a really good solution for deployment if you look in 2013, 2014 timeframe with our, our system and deploy board. Um, but if you look at it now, it's, it looks a lot like a really good CI system, mm-hmm. um, like a really good continuous integration system. And the parts around actually having an organized pipeline that automates the deployment out, we don't really have that in-house yet. And so that's really why we've uh, been adopting Spinnaker as a solution. here. Interesting. Well, tell us a little bit about, were you involved in the choice of bringing in Spinnaker? Was that happening while or before you joined Airbnb? Mm -hmm. So the decision for um, adopting Spinnaker happened last year. And so it was a discussion between myself, my manager, and then uh, Jingjing and Jens, who are on the team. And it was largely about, do we want to keep investing in DeployBoard, which was our existing solution? It was deeply integrated with all of Airbnb's stack, had a lot of stuff in it for how we deploy Monorail, which is our big Ruby on Rails application. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do we want to build automation into that, or do we want to bring in something new? And so we did a big research um, project to look at you know, what are all the available options out there, and you know what would those give us and how could we make those work at Airbnb and the at the end of that we decided that we should not invest more in our internal solution and should instead bring in Spinnaker and customize that to kind of encode Airbnb opinions into that via extensions and then use that as our platform for deployment moving forward Um, so we're we're still early days in Mm -hmm. that um, we're, we're about one year in. We have about 40 services onboarded right now. These are real production services. Some of the really critical services out of Airbnb. But considering we have thousands of services at Airbnb, there's 
there's some work to do to kind of make it the standard across. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, interesting. Tell us some more about, um, I know in the description of your talk, mm-hmm. you talk about that you're going to discuss uh, how self-service codified pipelines and easy web hook integrations help you scale uh, yeah. adoption yeah. and collaboration across the com- company. Tell us some more about what that is. Yeah. So one of the really, you know, hard parts about working at a company that's growing as fast as Airbnb is it's really hard to match the needs of everyone. And so you want to make everything self-service if you can, so that, you know, I, I'm creating a standard pipeline that, you know, I deploy one thing, I do some AB comparison, I roll it out to my next environment, I do another maybe canary analysis rollout, and so on. So I, I can come up with like standard components that people can use. Mm-hmm. But then you have stuff that, you know, people have built over time. And so our search team has regression detection that is really specific to them. And they think it provides really high signal if some functionality regression has occurred because you have things like search ranking and the actual layout of the, the results in the response package. And you need to make sure that those things don't change if you don't intend them to change. Mm-hmm. And so they built a service to actually do that regression detection and they want to integrate that with their deployed pipeline. And they want that to just be something that automatically happens every time that they run a deploy. You deploy to staging, you call this service with some arguments, you wait for that regression test to pass. And then if it fails, you present some custom UI that says, okay, this is what failed, this is why, and this is how you can go learn about some more. Mm-hmm. And then you move on to the next stage or you, you fail the pipeline and, and figure out what's going on. What we wanted to do is make it really easy for teams to plug in services like this because they, they do provide like the most value. The way we're doing that is by integrating actually with our interface definition language that we use internally. And so we actually extend Spinnaker to just provide a, a little webhook stage that people can reuse and call out to their services, but then they get a nice uh, user interface on top of that. And so they can kind of provide just a base level of functionality within Spinnaker. And it's kind of a minimal amount of work for for us to onboard a new type of stage. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, I was just going to ask you about that. Sometimes it can be a real challenge to introduce such a fundamental tool like this is fundamental to your your software development and delivery Mm -hmm. process. And what kind mm-hmm. of things that uh, you can do to minimize the disruption, lower the bar, you know, the barrier of entry for the teams. And, and, uh, and a lot of it depends, too, on how much your organization does software process similarly or is it very decentralized and everybody kind of does their own thing. It's, it's such a, a, an application if it's been in a, in a monolith kind of state. I imagine there's a lot more similarities in how people work at Airbnb. But you've got to still figure out how do you make this easy, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think we're lucky in the sense that right now there's really one deployment tool that people use, and that's DeployBoard. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we've introduced a second deployment tool. And our strategy here is actually we make the experience when you're first onboarding actually look a lot like DeployBoard. And so Spinnaker lets you customize the um, user interface. And so we actually have a panel within Spinnaker that shows a view that actually looks really similar 
to the view that you get in our old tool. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it provides all this power under the hood when you actually start your deploy. And so that's been pretty valuable for us for onboarding because it doesn't look that dissimilar. I would say a little rough around the edges, to be honest, still. It's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we spent a lot of time optimizing that flow for deploy board. People get a little bit confused sometimes, but uh, just having that initial experience look similar has made onboarding a lot easier. When we first proposed using Spinnaker, people were like, I can't figure out what's going on in the UI. I don't know what I'm doing here. Like, what are you guys thinking? But just by providing that, that similar viewpoint, people are like, oh, I know what to do. I'll just click on this button, which looks the same as we saw before. And that should start my deploy doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, never underestimate uh, the, the value of a easy to use uh, user interface or process or whatever. You know. Especially just having that familiarity, I think. It's, mm-hmm. um, Jens on my team has been a continual advocate for really pushing on, like, make this easy to transition from, mm-hmm. from our old tool to our new tool. Um, and I would say that there's some, there's some usability gaps that we've had to come across, um, but they're getting better, I would say. How far along in the rollout process of this are you? Are you in the still kind of beginning third of it, working with some of the early teams that are adopting? Are you now moving into more broader adoption of it? Where are you kind of in that process, that maturation process? Yeah, so we're kind of in the, we're calling it a beta stage. So in alpha stage, we were really hitting some early adopters, people who are willing to take some risks. Now we're onboarding kind of the, the big customers the ones who are pretty demanding and making sure that this actually works for them. And so what we're doing is we're measuring, you know, how much do we prevent? And so how many rollbacks are we preventing? How many incidents are Mm -hmm. we preventing? Mm -hmm. And making sure that Spinnaker as the platform we're currently providing is actually delivering business value. We're limiting our onboarding throughout 2019 to about uh, 50 teams. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the end of 2019, we'll, we'll have a really good idea of what works and what doesn't. And in 2020, we're going to open up the adoption to the full company. Kind of at the same time, we're going through a lot of scaling exercises to make sure that we will actually be able to scale to the full company. And give us an idea, 50 teams, what are usually the size of those teams? What do they range? Yeah, so the smallest teams will be probably about six or seven developers deploying a service. The largest team that we have onboarded has about 45 developers. And then we're aiming for one of our front end services, which is more monolithic. And so that'll have uh, several hundred developers working on it. But Mm -hmm. then there's kind of an operational expert team that manages what that deployment looks like. Mm -hmm. Well, that's that's pretty good range in different sizes of teams. So I'm sure uh, and parts of the application. So I assume they bring different challenges with them. How do you measure success from your decision of both going down the path of implementing continuous delivery and, and Spinnaker? You talked about business value. You also talked about, you know, uh, preventing how many rollbacks and incidents that also happen. But how do you talk, demonstrate to the people that said, we're going to spend this money uh, having you guys go implement this and tell them that it was worth it? Totally. That is a great question. Um, And so 
one of the big motivators for us was actually for uh, regression prevention. There are kind of two aspects for CD. One of them is increased productivity for developers. And then another one is having more rigorous processes for rollout. And we were definitely focused on the rigorous processes for rollout and like having automated canary analysis um, by default for every service. And so that's kind of the route that we're pursuing really in 2019 in terms of proving the business value. Mm -hmm. In 2020, we're going to have more metrics and more ability to say something around how productive we have made our engineers, or at least that we haven't made the, the story harder. But right now, it's, it's proven a little bit hard to quantify that. So we get people saying, yeah, we love it. We love that we can kind of ignore the deploy process now. But aside from having a CSAT style score, where you're just saying, you know, rate how productive you are on a scale of one to 10, it's, it's been pretty hard to quantify the um, productivity gains we've seen with Spinnaker. Well, that is often a challenge, right, for us in the software world and implementing technology. And, you know, as you talked about some of the regression uh, testing issues, maybe even uh, incidents in the old process compared to the new, mm -hmm. hopefully there's some metrics you can also use from, from the old methods to the new and to give you some, some places to start at least to benchmark those things. Certainly for regression detection, we have, we have strong evidence that automating this pipeline, and so what I really think of uh, Spinnaker as is a way to automate your runbook. Just the fact that it is automated now uh, has reduced the number of regressions that have gotten out to production. Uh, we have very strong evidence of that at this point. Well, and hopefully you can sing some of the praises, the good things of uh, what teams have learned so far with folks that are adopting it as you take on some of the bigger challenges like the larger teams too. Well, um, I appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast. It's been fascinating learning about what you're going to talk about. Uh, and I wish you the best in your presentation at uh, Spinnaker Summit. Thanks so much, Mitch. Uh, this has been a pleasure and uh, hope to meet you at uh, some point soon. That would be fantastic. I've enjoyed that very much. I'd like to thank my guest today, Brian Wolf, software engineer at Airbnb for sharing with us his experience with Spinnaker and, and how they are migrating to a continuous delivery model and scaling that up in the organization. Brian's gonna be talking at the Spinnaker Summit 2019, which is uh, November 15th to the 19th in San Diego. His talk is on Saturday the 16th at 11 a.m. And I believe you're going to be doing that with uh, Jens van der Haag. Yes, that correct. That is correct. Awesome. Good to have you both up there. Well, thank you everyone for joining us today. I'd like to thank our listeners for taking the time to uh, check out the podcast and hear about this talk. This is Mitch Ashley with DevOps.com, and you've listened to another DevOps Chat podcast. Be careful out there.